Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Impact Podcast. I am your host, LBJ. I am super excited to introduce my guest for today, Daniel Smith. Daniel Smith is the founder of Keepingly. He's the host of the KeepWise podcast. He's a LinkedIn influencer talking all things Black business, Black tech, Black entrepreneurship related. He's the author of several published articles, has been featured in a variety of other publications, um, including from companies including Fast Company, Medium, Venture Magazine, and more. He was, in fact, named an inspirational Black man in technology by Medium just last year in 2022. And he's also, uh, last year, he was named a real estate newsmaker by RIS Media. If you're unfamiliar with Keepingly, Keepingly is a platform that gives homeowners a single place to manage and keep records of their home services and expenses. So, Daniel, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you doing today? Hey, Leonard. Um, thank you for having me. Um, thanks for all the kind words. Um, you know, <laughs> as, as you're reading some of that, you know, um, you know, it's it's reflective to think of, you know, where where we were when we started this journey, as you know, for me and you know, some of the other persons on my team. So you know, um, yeah. it's 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 surreal a bit, but you know, um, happy to be here, happy to. Um, have this this opportunity to to talk about things um, in technology and you know yeah let's do it man yeah yeah let's do it so we're gonna get into um, into the technology and um, and keepingly in in a second but um, you know I, I want to share a, a bit of your story kind of you know what where does where does the story of Daniel Smith start where where are you originally from what was what was your background what was childhood like um so i was born in trinidad and tobago in the caribbean i am the first of three kids um you know for me um we had a very interesting childhood um my parents were you know disciplinarians um you know for me and so you know part of that was hey uh go to school do your work you know kind of thing and you know i would say you know a lot of the grounding that we had as kids were really based on um, my parents, you know, and the diligence because my mom at a point in time was a teacher, then she moved careers. And so as a family, we were pretty tight knit in terms of, you know, um, always uh, being there for one another. Um, You know, recently my dad died. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, we... It was Christmas, actually, died on Christmas Day. Wow. So, you know, getting that call um, and saying, hey, he died, you know, and then yeah. you know, having to, you know, deal with, you know, all of that. Um, but, you know, for the first time, I would say in 10 years, all my siblings and I were together. We'd see each other separately, but never. We would all in the same space yeah. for, for like a decade. Um, so that, that had its own, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, moment, but, you know, for me, you know, really growing up, um, we were taught, you know, to excel, we were taught to do our best, you know, my, my dad, you know, one of those stories that, you know, I yeah. remember him fondly of, you know, we thinking and reflecting, you know, my dad would say, he's like, um, you're going to school and, you know, you'd be talking with teachers and the teacher's like, Hey, you know, Daniel is such a good being. My dad was like, yeah, um, I didn't want to <laughs> hear that. I just want to understand how he's doing in his school. He's like, yeah. I just want to behave at home. Um, <laughs> um, we, we just focus on. So that's kind of you know the, the background that we keep on. You know, and, and for me, you know, 
you know, start looking at how weak I got into technology. It was really, you know, again, yeah. my parents were really super supportive of everything that we did, you know. Yeah. Um, I did my first company at like 20. Um, wow. And, you know, we, we, I grew up in the space of, hey, was now we're coming in 2020, 20, uh, early 2000s. And so we started talking on websites, web development and stuff like that. And so my parents, you know, always had our backs. But, you know, in addition to building a business, I was still going to school full time, still trying to build a business on the side. I still got it all done. So, yeah. you, know, really, um, you know, I would tell people, you know, hustling hard, even, you know, especially in my early 20s to build a business, uh, help it be successful, but also understand technology was kind of the grounding that, yeah. that, that kind of where I came from. Wow, that's an, that's incredible. So um, you mentioned you, you started your first business at 20. What was that first business? What was that like? Um, so our first business at 20 was um, web development. So we have okay. to build websites, uh, build more, um, you know, de- determined strategy, really. We were all moving away from, hey, you've really post um, everything brick and mortar to a lot of things going online. So, yeah. you know, we helped companies transitions in the Caribbean. I worked at, you know, some of the biggest entities from government organizations, airlines, um, yeah. you know, schools uh universities you know i i had kind of the gamut of clients but you know that <laughs> it took a while to build because it takes you and so you know i tell people even around if, if i parlay some of that into the conversations now around funding you know when you're in your early 20s you could take that hit you could take you know building from scratch you can <laughs> um, you can, especially if you're living in your parents' house and you know have yeah. responsibilities and kids, it's like, hey, yeah, let's let's just do it. Let's just you know grind it out. Let's take the hit. I think that <laughs> once you want to build something scalable, that's a totally different conversation. You know that yeah. that requires a bit more uh, intuition. It requires a bit more time to build a runway. Um, and you know the cost of things have you know really come down on that side to to build and scale. So you know. The, the opportunities I think that now where we are, it's it's life has really evolved, you know, from from twenty from, from a few years ago, you know, yeah. in the two thousands to now. Wow, that's incredible. So you when you started your first business, I know you mentioned your parents are are, you know, really on your on you about your academics. Um what was their what was that first step? Like for for them, did they support your entrepreneurship endeavors early on or were they like get a, a nine to five work that? <laughs> no, well, the thing about it was when I started, it was really I was still in school. Um, yeah. So it was just about really being able to mm. balance school and yeah. you know trying to build a business. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, which me when you know, even when my dad died, you know, one of the things that hit me about it, you know, was just like all these memories that come flooding back. And I remember him, you know, taking the time to you know, we started an out of our main business, we started like a, a incubator company and one of those things is like he went around and he talked to people and he introduced people to what we were building and things. So he was like an integral part of a lot of that's incredible. Know, just what we were building and then Yeah. So for me, you know, um once I was able to maintain my GP and you know and, and for me I, I think I was a pretty okay student, you know. So <laughs> um, you know, I, I was I was never jumping below any GPs or anything. Yeah. My parents were pretty okay, you know, in terms of that. So I think that, you know, and I realized once there were times, you know, then 
okay, well, coming down to exam week or, you know, when you have a midterm, you know, you just kind of characterize your time. So I don't think that it's any different from having a job while going to school. I just think it really is about you being able to characterize your time and your focus. Um, Other people, you know, go different places. You work Starbucks, you get a job, you do something, you know, Walmart or whatever. You see all these college kids. And and so it's kind of the same thing. I just think, you know, for me, it was just me building for myself. um, Yeah. Company and and kind of getting that experience um, to learn to sell, to learn to uh, build out a product, to learn to understand roadmaps, all those things that came with it. That's awesome. So from the time you started that very first web, de- web web development company to keepingly, you know, what was that in between? What what happened in between those, that time? So in between that time, I shut down a business. Uh, yeah. I lost money. Uh, <laughs> I, I switched over to the corporate side because part of, you know, my um, my background, I somewhere in between, you know, building my business, I uh, finished my bachelor's, did my MBA. So yeah. I was like, you know, okay, yeah, well, you know, time to do something. So um, I did a stint in telecom for approximately five years, um, worked in product and digital strategy, uh, yeah. had some roadmap, um, things around the internet of things, uh, building out business cases. <laughs> um, then on the, um, on the digital strategy side, um, moving customers from again brick and mortar to the digital side moving a company from like 1 million to like 20 million payments in in like 18 months um and helping them to be able to strategize and to be able to get their customers to really embrace digital um technology and you know it was funny because right at the end of that we just kind of went into covid and i'm like Man, if some of these institutions didn't make these moves, they would be sitting ducks at this point. So, yeah. I, you know, um, that those those that's kind of you know so the trajectory from you know time you know well from there to to where we are now in terms of keeping. Yeah, and so earlier you mentioned you grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. When did you move to the United States? Um, so I moved to Miami about um twenty twelve, something like that. Okay, so kind of in between that that time. Yeah, okay, yeah. awesome. So, when did you get you know get this initial idea for for Keepingly? So for Keepingly, um, the idea really started. You know, um, we were just like in the middle of the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. and for me, you know, you're doing a everybody's home, <laughs> everybody's yeah. around trying to figure out okay what happens now, and then you know even around. The task around your home, you're realizing, okay, certain things need to be done, or you know, you don't want anybody in your house, anybody in your space. Some people actually do renovations, so it's a kind of weird time. But for yeah. me, what one of those things, you know, I started to, you know, think about was just my Internet of Things experience and mm-hmm. how when you're in technology, you love building technology for yourself. But it doesn't necessarily translate in terms of how we build products for customers and that end user. And part yeah. of my time in telecom, what it taught me really on that consumer end is that consumers, the, 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 the build that and the roadmap that you have to have for customers is totally different from if you're working um, from a tech side itself. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just bridging that gap. Uh, customer board onboarding, customer orientation, uh, yeah. understanding how 
to really do the things around um, making sure that you're engaging in customers. So for me, you know, building out even on the social media side, understanding how to handle things like that. Those were yeah. all experiences that I was able to, 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 to build. And, you know, that um, because even in some of my side products, projects, you know, I'd build, you know, like building from zero to 100, uh, 50, 60,000 in terms of uh, customers and social media and stuff like that and understanding, okay, what engages customers, what what doesn't. So trying to take all these experiences now and even in terms of keeping me, what we, I started thinking about was like, hmm, the, the home ownership process and that journey feels pretty dis- disjointed and right. broken um, because for me, I was in my house for like a yeah, decade and sometimes understanding, okay, what did we do? When did we do that? Where's the bill for that? <laughs> Who did that? Who's the vendor? Um, how much did it cost? And, so, yeah. uh, and then realizing, even even during the pandemic, realizing, you know, one of those things was like, every vendor wants to be paid uh, uh, like 6 million ways. I'm like, geez, okay, this process is just feels really exhausting. And yeah. so, you know, part of that, you know, so just even with, how we were thinking of keeping it, you know, we actually thought of it one way and we 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 ended up realizing, okay, for the home ownership process, it's a whole journey. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was just my own experience, you know, coming out of it, part of it was really um, having that conversation with myself, you know, have, doing surveys with other people, yeah. understanding, okay, could this be a possible business? What does this look like? What does what should the actual home ownership experience be? And so that was just, you know, the the idea for keeping me in terms of, okay, yeah, we now are all mobile. We all have these devices. How are we using it in the home ownership process? So that that was the bit of keeping me in my mind. And then you know, it looks different. <laughs> it looks different rolling out. But yeah, that has been, you know, what we've experienced as well. That's awesome. So you you had this initial idea you know what was that first step for you um i would say for me um doing research um because i wanted to understand okay is this what happens next i was you know uh midway between thinking of you know doing more telecom roles thinking about okay yeah what does this look like uh do i move back to the to, to or do i um take remote roles you know working mm-hmm. on telecoms, you know, in, in the Caribbean and stuff like that. Or, you know, do I look, you know, because I'm in Miami and then, you know, it's just like, okay, yeah, what does this look like? So um, part of that initial stuff was like, okay, is this a viable opportunity here? What does the competition look like? What does this um, market segment look like? And how do we, um, how can we possibly make inroads? And because mm-hmm. I number one, have business experience, but also because I have that, that my MBA, you know, my mind always thinks of, okay, how does this look like market segmentation, you know, this analysis, that analysis, uh, how can we possibly make inroads? How can we, you know, um, be that voice to attract customers and stuff like that? So that was part of, that was kind of step one. And then step two was really, okay, what does this look like if we, uh, build a, a product because that that for me is the easy part because I right. I live in tech I, I have like multiple options for me because I'm not necessarily technical lately um, I I can't I don't code to save my life <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know initially I started off you know 
knowing how to code and stuff like that. And then I kind of switch fully to the business side. So there's no more, okay, you're a, you're a technical anything lately in my, my <laughs> life. But I can't, you know, do um, from the product side, you know, know how to do sprints, know how to manage that, and you know, to do product, product road mapping, uh, understand exactly, okay, this is the life cycle of where we are in this product or what are the functionalities and the features. So that's kind of one of the other steps I took, you know, was looking at what does this product roadmap look like if we start building up? What should be the first thing we do? Um, and, you know, how do how does that translate? Um, what, is, what should the user experience be like? So those, those were some of the, you know, my brand new steps jumping into this, you know, and thinking, okay, and then ha- and also doing surveys. So that was one of, you know, one of those things that we kind of did to, you know, validate and because sometimes you have to validate your own thought process in this whole building exercise. Um, Absolutely. Make sure that, you know, it's not just you hearing yourself or, um, you know, your ego getting in the way of what you're building um, or what yeah. the business opportunity is. So I kind of took some of those steps and kind of stepped back and said, okay, you know, this is a Daniel thing, but can it be, this is, this is a marketing would it be embraced? How how should we look at it? So those for me were some of the steps that we initially took. Yeah, you know, I have several questions out of that that I want to ask. <laughs> um, but the the first one, um, so you mentioned you had your MBA, and you also mentioned like the like you've kind of transitioned from the technical side to more of the the business side of entrepreneurship. Um, for the young entrepreneur who's kind of on the fence about is an MBA, like, do I go back to school, get this MBA and then launch my business? Or do I go without it first? You've been on both sides. You were, you started your first one in undergrad, um, you know, and now you're starting keepingly with MBA under your belt. You know, what, it, what, what advice do you have for that entrepreneur? You know, what, what's the impact there? Um, so I would say, you know, it really depends on what you, what you want out of it. For me, I, 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 I that argument or that conversation really um, dissects two ways. Number one, um, understand that you can see the Zucks, you can see the Gates, you can see all these guys of these worlds, but understand that what these guys all have, um, even the, the Bezos, etc., cetera, um, they all have networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is one of those critical aspects that, you know, we try to underplay because even for me, I would tell people, um, and, I, and you mentioned my fast company. For, for me, yeah. um, growing up, or not, not growing up, but, you know, in my undergrad, I would read all those magazines, Forbes, Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I can show you my, my, my shelf with a lot of these magazines in it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what, if, if you're looking at the tech journalism side, the story that we sold is that, hey, you know, um, you don't necessarily need a, a undergrad. You don't need an MBA. You don't need these things to make it. You know, you just need to, you know, have a great product idea. But the thing that they don't tell you is that, or, or they don't don't like to emphasize as much. If you take the, the case of Zuck uh, and, and Facebook, you know, ultimately um, Microsoft invested in Facebook um, at yeah. a really early on period. Um, yeah. Do you have those Harvard connections and relationships to be able to do that? Um, and so for me, I would say, you know, 
if you have the relationships and you have the network and don't need to go to school, then fine. But I think that mm. school is also that that socializing ground. So, you know, for me now, you know, even before I, you know, started back in entrepreneurship, getting roles in, in corporate, it was like pick up the phone and, and friends who's like, hey, I had this role, what do you think about it? You know, would you? And so that's what, you know, having that, those relationships and those networks yeah. give you. And you get it over time. But if you're young um, and unless you're getting into a YC, which, you know, again, is about the network um, yeah. and, and about the relationship in addition to now is the 500K that they're giving. I think that yeah. um, it is, you know, the education that you have never goes away. Um, mm. And if you, and, and to me, learning is also a lifelong process. So um, I don't knock having the MBA. Um, and for me, I didn't necessarily pay all that much for it. So um, <laughs> if you have to pay for it and you're paying for one of those high-end schools, um, you you actually have to, I would say you do the cost analysis and figure out, you know, okay, what does this look like? And what what is the return on the investment that I'm trying to get out of this? Um, That's great. But, but for me, I, I, I embrace having it because I think that ultimately it made me a better critical thinker hmm. um and also i was i was i was in my late 20s when i so for me you know compete um compared to myself some of the people in my class who are a lot younger then have the yeah. life experience then build a business then do xyz um you know you could i could just say you know i think that for me what i'd say is having a better experience on their belt before you do an mba gives you that um, lift in terms of, okay, you're not just walking into class, okay, I just want to get an E, but you're walking into class in terms of, how does how can I apply this situationally to make um, this better? Or if I see the scenario, how do I? So really scenario planning, scenario matching, um, those kinds yeah. of things, I think, gives you that kind of competitive advantage in terms of how you're able to approach it. That's great. That's great. You mentioned um, Microsoft was one of the early investors in uh, in Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I I saw a recent article. Um, I, I saw a recent article you, you shared on LinkedIn um, reporting. I think is less than one percent of all um, venture capital funding last year went to Black founders. Um, you know, as when you launched um, Keepingly, one did you seek venture funding, but also um, you know, as you know, like I'm actively in, in the VC space right now myself, um, and I, I'm wrestling with conversations are on, you know, what is, how, how can venture cap? So maybe this is two questions, but the second question there is, you know, what is in an ideal world, if, if black founders are are receiving more funding, what's, what's the impact that, that, that you'd like to see? So the first question there. Did you seek VC funding yourself to launch Keepingly? And then two, um, you know, what what's the impact like in an ideal world? What's the impact that that VC funding can have on on founders who look like you and me? Okay, so the first question is um, some of it I ponied up from out of pocket. Um, so yeah. then I have done more angel than seek VC. Um, you know, if mm, I love that I have, but we've also spoken to approximately. 70 to 80 VCs um, and have, okay. oh, you're too early for us. Um, hmm. 
So, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. So we, we've had the conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, so I think it's 2% of, or, or near 2% went okay. to black I think under 2% went to black women, which, okay. which you know, is that whole, odd, uh, whole new kind of wounds that we start there. Yeah. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, ultimately, so, you know, we can't, I think that the, the, the conversation is a no-brainer, number one, in terms of funding mm-hmm. more black founders. I think that that goes without saying. I, I don't even see, uh, you, you, can't, you can't give a group that has been the most histi- historically disadvantaged group less than 2% of funding of anything and then yeah. to say, oh, well, we've, we've tried to bridge the gap. I mean, I, I don't even understand <laughs> yeah. how, even if we're trying to have a conversation, because I know there are those proponents who like to talk about, you know, meritocracy, X, Y, Z, you know, all those very um, idealistic conversation. Yeah. No way can we give one group less than 2% of funding and think that we're doing the best. That that, yeah. that is like me telling my kid, hey, you know, well, you only need to try 2% and <laughs> to get 100% in your exam. You, you know, it doesn't work yeah. like that. So I think that all the, the proponents of, of that, but then then we, we if we're being honest about some of these conversations, you realize that some of this is systemically inbuilt into the system. Some is, is mm-hmm. built to um, prioritize one group above everybody else. And some just goes back to plain old networks, and, yeah. you know, where people feel the most comfort. So yeah. if you went to Harvard with you, or if you're a Harvard alum, or, you know, Princeton or Yale or, or one of those Ivy Leagues, I would think that you are more worthy of the investment because you went to an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I mean, and, and that is also people's own biases that actually yeah. are impacting how they invest. And, you know, why I can't say I fought them for it because we all come with our inherent biases as human beings, I do think that there needs to be... Um, intentional you know uh, intentional um structuring around these things one of those mm-hmm. terms that i came up with over the the, uh, the pandemic was called performative posturing um mm-hmm. and it was really about all these organizations i guess in a week of george floyd making a lot of statements and saying you know these are the things that we would do as organizations this is the amount of money we pledge Okay, so yeah. let's start two years later, uh, we're in 2023 now, three years later, start looking and seeing, okay, this one said 500 million, this one said this one. That, how much of that has actually been distributed? And now we're in a state of, we're in a pandemic, uh, we're, we're, we're in a, I would say we're near recession, you know, considering everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, how much of those um, initiatives will be followed up, will be carried through, and how do we hold organizations accountable? And so, when we start looking in the VC space also, um, I think that it's really critical because it may be Daniel Smith today, but then it may be somebody else who has, you know, the groundbreaking technology. I think mm. that recently I shared the story of um, 
of the guys who build and block power. And even yeah. you know, coming out of um, the the SVB um, collapse, you know how he was on a plane trying to make sure he could move money. And it's and and for me that was like, dude, this this dude is is number one. He's bearing his soul. That that's that's that level of vulnerability. But also, yeah. think about I think that maybe a month ago they did what uh, 150 mil in terms of you know between debt and equity. And I'm like, dang. So you're just, you're feeling happy in one moment. And that's how entrepreneurship is. You're feeling happy yeah. in one moment, but you know, a few weeks later, and then it's like, okay, crap, I need to scramble to make sure that I'm, I'm surviving. And so I think that there's, a, for black founders, you know, there's also this weight of expectation upon mm-hmm. um, There isn't necessarily the room to fail. There isn't always the room wow. to give you that sort of, okay, well, you know, this is the way you should think about or this is what you should try. I mean, if you're in the circles and you have those VC relationships around you to back you up, then yeah. But sometimes it's like flying blind. And I would say that even, you know, some of those conversations which you have with VCs could be um, disingenuous because they tell you, oh, well, you're too early for us, but you we know people who get funding with papers and napkins and, and naughty yeah. products. Um, and so for me, it's just not, I'm not even asking, you know, well, it needs to be okay, well, fund us a napkin on products, but sometimes you see the shifting goalposts. So it's sometimes it's like, okay, well, you need traction. Mm. Well, I've gotten some customers, I've gotten some revenue. Oh, well, you're still not there for us. And you see these shifting goalposts and I'm like, hey, if we're talking about meritocracy, let's talk about standardization of what this looks like. Because in one mm. round you hear this is a C, this is a pre-seed, this is a series A, but depending on who you are and what you've built, that looks totally different. So all of wow. those kinds of things I think are, you know, really important that we ensure that we're having conversations where we put equality on the table because whether or not Leonard is black, Daniel is white, Daniel is green, Indian, Chinese, whatever his color. He should have or be afforded similar. And mm. not only because of, okay, well, this is who I know. If, if it's who I know, it, 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 it makes it easier to have a conversation. But if I'm meeting yeah. the mark, then therefore it's like, okay, um, why am I not meeting the mark? And in some of these cases, I remember talking to somebody who's like, oh, well, we don't think that you have, certain things worked out yet and i'm like okay but i thought that was where you're supposed to be helping mm. me get there um so in some of the you know these conversations they want a built-in bit and product depending yeah. on the age that you are and i think that some of those conversations really we, we kind of need to figure out you know as as an industry how do we get to make sure that we have more black founders in this funnel Yes, I, I I love everything that you just said. Um, thank you for that. Um, and I, I'm going to go back to, to keep you in a second. But on that note, you know, while we're on this, um, you know, one thing that I've thought about. So for me, I'm the first in my family to I'm first gen college student, but also first to kind of go into the tech space. Um, you know, in your opinion, you know, what is the impact that technology can have? on the, the black community and not, I don't, not just, you know, in the United States um, and a couple episodes, I'm, I'm bringing it on an entrepreneur who's doing some work over in um, and, and on the African continent. But um, in, in your opinion, you know, what's the impact that the technology can have on the, the global black community? 
I think that I again it's a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. for me because I started in technology so young. Um, yeah, and that was even before I think that I got my first computer at like fifteen. So for me, I, I remember you know dial up internet. <laughs> you're old enough to remember those songs um, those are my earliest days of, of internet i was i was young but <laughs> thank you very much um and so part of of you know for me in, in really getting indoctrinated and, and understanding the power i think that technology changes the world and i think that we have an opportunity with technology to have a seat at the table and help make technology um, that impacts and benefits our lives. Um, You know, one of the things I've realized even in working on the social media aspect, it's amazing how transformative, um, you know, things like Facebook, IG, TikTok, all these things, um, Mm -hmm. you know, have been. And one of the problems that I have is that we are so influential and impactful in making a lot of these platforms um, not not only functional, but um, in terms of how much revenue they generate. So actually mm. making money for them. Yeah. And then when you look around the seat at the table of who is represented, um, you hardly see people like us in the C-suites and represented on an executive level, um, which is one of those problems. I I fundamentally have a problem with that because I think that, hey, here's what, we influence culture, we drive culture, we impact culture, yet give us seats at the table. Um, And so I think that that technology has the power to, you know, from everything, if we, we look back to the pandemic, we look at supply chains, how those things were impacted. Well, yeah. you know, uh, moving people from bricks and mortar to, you know, um, being in everything happening online from payments to um, you. Some people had more Amazon boxes in their houses than anything else. Um, yeah. and, and trust me, it's not even only here. I remember being in the Caribbean. I see some of my, my friends um, and family, you know, have more Amazon boxes than I had. I'm like, whoa, why do you have more Amazon boxes than me? <laughs> but, you know, so it, technology yeah. is global and it, it has transformed, you know, the way we live our lives. You know, even if I mm-hmm. interacted with my, my 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 child, I realized, you know, part of that conversation is she's like so indoctrinated into technology because... <laughs> She, it's all around her and whether or not we want to because I'm like one of those parents I'm like yeah you're not getting a phone until you're way high, you know, way high school. I'm not giving a kid a phone so that's me personally yeah. because I need to be able to, con- to, to to restrict what you have access to and mm-hmm. make sure that I try to keep you you know because I, I don't you know I have a phone I understand exactly all the things that comes up there so now I'm giving it to a kid and empowering that kid but on the flip side um, you know my daughter just saw something on YouTube and she's like, Hey daddy, do you would yeah, you want this podcast? Like um you this person on your podcast, stuff like that. And so for even for her, you know, thinking about okay, what is my possible career? Where can I do? What can I mm. how do I get information? A lot of their information, we had what encyclopedias. Now they have 
YouTube. So YouTube is their new yeah. <laughs> And so I do think that, you know, technology has the uh, has a marvelous opportunity for us to transform, but we have to be thinking about it in those very strategic manners. Because sometimes mm-hmm. we think about it, oh, well, this is entertainment. Well, here's what, Facebook is a billion dollar company. They don't only view this as- That's great. Uh, they bought IT, 1.2 whatever billion when they bought it, and now it's worth whatever. It's not only entertainment. So we have to really become very strategic. TikTok, um, I know they're in Congress, you know, talking about whether or not we should ban TikTok. Uh, all the details that we give about ourselves and our personal, from a security standpoint, you know, part of those things, how do we ensure that we are up to date? Because, you know, even with this new slew of firings that we have and let like, cuts and, and let goes, you know, how do we use these opportunities to make ourselves as a population um, relevant in the conversation and having a seat at the table of what happens next in technology? Um, and I great. think that's where we have to start thinking very strategically um, about our place in technology. It's, it's nice to do the TikTok moves. It's nice to sit and, and be <laughs> But um, I, I would prefer to see us being paid I prefer to see us having a lot more equity and stocks and, and um, you know, decision-making power at those tables. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, thank you for that. Um, all right, so now I'm going to bring it back to one of my earlier questions on Keeping Lee. Um, so I know last year your team launched the official pilot for the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier you mentioned um, you're not – you would consider yourself a non-technical founder – um, how did how did you go about kind of building a tech platform as a non technical as a non technical founder? So that that's that's where understanding technology comes in. I would say <laughs> <laughs> um, because I was I was so for for me um, what we we kind of outsourced some of it, and so um, I found really good persons who had a background in some of what we were doing to understand the problem. And so the power of the network you were talking about earlier. Exactly. And so part of that was um, me road mapping. Though I, I knew exactly what I wanted. Um, mm. And then what we did is, you know, really get advice from one of those VCs who I speak with, you know, on a constant basis. It was like, hey, Daniel, don't just go and get a tech team. I get a product person. So we kind of stepped back and started thinking about, okay, you know, product, product, product. And so connected with somebody who did product. And so that was more of the UX, UI kind of um, road mapping that we needed to do. But for me, I always knew what the experience should be because it was kind of built off of my own experience and just talking to other people. Um, And then, you know, doing some early testing with some people, getting their feedback you know, what we think it should, you know, do and stuff like that. So I would say for me, just having a tech background, understanding, okay. And then having, I've managed tech teams, you know, so much in my life, you know, so many projects I did, I was the, the, the project lead. So, you know, yeah. from proposals to uh, user testing to UX, UI, okay, this is going to get here, move it there. Okay, let's <laughs> test this. As, and, and so, um, for me, I've also worked on multiple time zones. So whether or not I had a team in India or Nigeria or, or um, yeah. side or even in the Caribbean, um, I had multiple networks to tap into. And so it wasn't necessarily that difficult because I had some of the background, but I would yeah. say um, 
having that vision was actually what kind of helped make it easier. And even now where we are in terms of understanding, we still have to go and iterate after version one. And, and then also, I, I would say that's just the tech side. And then I spent like a lot of last year dealing with the policy side because coming into housing and the real estate market, I did not understand how um, heavily policy based um, mm. the housing industry was. And so yeah. connecting with one of my advisors and, and then I started going down a totally different rabbit hole, which was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my mind blown because of all the things and even that fast company article, you know, part of me was was really sitting on the policy side and understanding, okay, what's a special purpose credit program in housing? Um, how can we use that to talk about homeownership sustainability? And how do we ensure that, you know, uh, the customer experience and the homeowner experience evolves? Because it's not just about buying a house or getting people into houses. No, it's about getting them in houses and helping them build generational wealth, helping them to stay in those houses, help them to be able to track everything that they've done. So at the end of the day, they're able to say, okay, uh, this is my most valuable asset, and mm. therefore these are all the things. And then when you start thinking about it just from the standpoint of, you know, your home is your most valuable asset, and yeah. how, um, you know, the policies are constructed around those things. For me, I got a whole new baptism that was way outside the scope of tech. So you know, even one of my advisors says <laughs> now, he's like, yo, you're a policy wonk. You're, you're just like a policy head. Because I'm reading every day about something in the housing industry. I'm understanding exactly what should go on. But also for me, connecting the dots in terms of how we um, position our product and how we are able to really help the average user who doesn't necessarily think about it going in. Because yeah. we all have the euphoric feeling of, you know, my house is my most important asset. Oh, no, we actually have the euphoric feeling of, yeah, well, I just want a house and I want to be a homeowner. Whoopee! <laughs> and we we'll talk about, okay, well, what does it cost to live there? Yeah, what does your emergency um, repairs look like? I mean, as a country, we're averaging somewhere around $30 billion in emergency repairs per year because we <laughs> won't do proper maintenance in our house. So it's like, yeah. Ah, yeah. But those are the things that we hear. <laughs> we hear the really nice stories. So we're hoping to bridge some of that in what we're building at PP. That's in, that's incredible. I can't wait to use the platform. Um, I, I mentioned last year, my wife and I bought our house. Um, and within two months of being in the house, uh, we had a fire on our deck. So <laughs> I was, I was like, okay, like wow. this is not what I anticipated as part of this process. So, yeah, um, yeah I can't wait. Are, yeah. And those things are, are, those things could really, um, leave you scarred and jaded, you know, depending on what yeah. your expectations are. And, and sometimes we just move on. But the thing about it is like, you know, you had to do that deck, you know. How do you yeah. document for that? Um, what does this look like before and after? What does insurance tell you? How much is it going to cover? And so those are some of the questions that we as a company started having to ask, you know, even on my podcast, um, my co-host, she had a fire yeah. in the kitchen and she tells her story and her story was one of those gut-wrenching stories for me personally. I yeah. was like, geez, this is this is what this is like. So it I think that it changes you, but also I think that what we're building really is about empowering you so that at the end of the day, your experience um end to end from the moment you close to the moment you do decide to do whatever, um, 
it is worthy of documentation and it is worthy of you know helping you to have a better journey as a homeowner absolutely absolutely um you mentioned your podcast uh the keep wise podcast yeah. as we as we begin to wrap up i'd love for you to you know share uh a, a bit about the podcast with our listeners so our podcast um is focused on the whole home ownership journey uh so yeah. we had some really influential guests um you know from like national association of realtors we had one of our first guests was Dr. Vanessa Perry. She is um, a professor over at Georgetown and she spent a lot of years and she has a fascinating story about why she got involved in this work. And so yeah. when you start understanding, you know, what that experience is, we want to make sure that we bring to life what that homeownership experience is and giving people the tools so people may not understand, okay, why is data important to this home ownership journey? Mm. And what our latest episode really talks about that, you know, looking at trends because trends help you to understand, okay, these are the things that I need to be doing if I want to get this valuation on my house. But also these are the yeah. things that I need to be thinking of, you know, where the market is going, what happened historically, because, um, even for me, I just wrote an article talking about how SVB um, collapse is is going to impact home ownership. And it is instructional in terms of how we need to be thinking of it. And so what we want to do with our podcast is help homeowners to be able to get into that mindset and that framing. Hey, this is an asset uh, and I need to manage my house like an asset. When you see only 3% of minority homeowners refinance, yeah. Um, in the last in in two thousand in two thousand twenty twenty one, when rates wow. were historical lows, you realize that if you didn't know that you should have refined or you know taken those actions, you lost out. How much money did some people lose out by? I don't know, but here's wow. rates are at seven percent today. So think about the average homeowner uh, getting a three percent rate or two point something rate versus seven percent now. And you realize it's a world of difference in terms of what those percentages look like. Yeah. So we're really about empowering homeowners and um, home buyers because we also know that 5 million people want to become homeowners in the next five years or, you know, that time period now. And we're also in a cross uh, cycle in the market where we're facing um, abundant um, shortages of supply. So for us, it's really about helping people to understand and to be able to navigate the market so that they're able to have the best experience uh, with uh, as little um, buyer's remorse as possible. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't wait to to add that to, to my playlist of, of my podcast. Um, I didn't know that about 3% of uh, minority home, homeowners refinanced. Um, that's, you know, millions lost out in in our community. I'm sure yeah. it's billions. I'm sure it's billions. It's, yeah. Just think about it. You know, if if your average saving on a on a a loan is like eight hundred dollars, think about eight hundred dollars per month by twelve, yeah. and then multiply that by all the people who didn't write refi, who didn't know how to refi, or you wow. know their banks, or you know, I heard stories. I, I, there, there was another uh, interesting statistic that I noticed that which says that. Homeowners or home buyers take usually the first offer that they've given. And I'm like, what? 
So people don't even negotiate. People don't go get wow. opinions. And I'm like, okay, are people? You know, but but I have to console myself. Is like, hey, Daniel, you just one um, course away from having an MBA in finance. So <laughs> therefore, you may take things a bit different from just the average person who doesn't understand <laughs> this. But that's nuts. Yes, you need to negotiate. You need to to play play one against the other so that you can make sure that you're getting the best rate. And I think yeah. that these things are like supposed to be like pretty common sense. But hey, it's just like, but pe- but you know what? I realized even in the whole home ownership experiences, you don't know what you don't know, and so therefore, it's about educating people so that they know to make better decisions. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what is, you know, 2023 look like for keeping Lee, for Daniel, for the keep wise podcast, what, what is this year? What's this year look like for you? Um, so for the keep wise podcast objective is to, um, bring more great guests to the table, um, have some fantastic conversations so that we could continue to empower, um, home owners along their home ownership journey. Um, for keepingly, our objective is to launch um, out of a pilot term or a formalized launch and to be able to roll out uh, some iterations and some upgrades to our platform. Also, hoping to raise some um, funding from from guys like Leonard so that we can <laughs> <laughs> so we can uh, continue to grow our platform, uh, but also really. Um, getting some great partnerships on board, you know, yeah. um, that is one of those things, you know, we, we do believe that as an ecosystem, we have the opportunity to help both um, realtors, brokers, um, builders, everybody in this cycle to be able to maintain better relationship with homeowners. Um, yeah. And then for me, um, really, um, I, I don't know, I'm getting more gray, so I'm just hoping <laughs> to continue to, um live and continue to you know build out along our journey um and, yeah. and to get health I, I mean i i can't predict the future so but for me you know just trying to keep in shape um you know read more continue to to um be an advocate for the wins and continue to point out the injustices because you know we need to have a more balanced equitable yeah um, and also to you know continue to be a, a parent to my 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 kids. So yeah, that's incredible. Um, you know, has has it hit you yet? And what I'm what I'm asking, what I mean by that is, you know, you are an inspiration to young entrepreneurs, uh, to you know the younger generation of of tech workers, um, prospective entrepreneurs like myself. Um, you're you're doing you know some incredible things. You're a black CEO of of your tech company. You know you're running your podcast, you're building the network, you're literally influencing thousands of people, if not millions with all the different things you're doing. Has like, has, have you like taken that in yet? Uh, um, I, I tried to, you know, it was funny that question because I was having um, this conversation with my, uh, my daughter today. And I was saying to her, you know, um, you know, for me, I'm, I would say I'm kind of more humble about it. Mm. Um, and I tend not to... And sometimes you have to take stock of what you're doing. 
but yeah. because I continue to just do, uh, you know, a family member said to me recently, I don't know how you do it all. And I'm like, you know, I just, I, I don't have time to stop and think about it. I yeah. just have to do it. Um, so in the, in the ways that I am able to impact others, I am thankful for the opportunity. I'm happy to continue to have these conversations. Um, but, you know, I, for me, I don't think that my story is complete until um, mm -hmm. we get that win. Um, yeah. And until we're able to say, hey, you know, I've built end-to-end. -end. Because, you know, for me, I think one of the gutting feelings sometimes is, you know, I mean, for, for me, I just experienced that, you know, in December and, you know, yeah. mid-January coming up because, you know, death, funeral, everything. And, and that kind of yeah. on me a bit. Uh, and I realized, you know, despite what we may do when you leave the earth, the only thing that you have um, is the memories. And mm -hmm. it's how you impact people's lives. Yeah. So for me, taking all of that on board, you know, it's, I'm just happy that I'm able to influence because sometimes, you know, um, yeah. I, I don't know how other people feel, but there was this point in my life, I was doing pretty okay. I was like in my mid twenties and, you know, it was like my grade would come around and I'm like, why do I feel like I'm not doing enough? Mm. Why do I feel like, you know, I'm not accomplishing enough? Uh, maybe it's because uh, some people are like, yeah, you're a type A personality. So I'm like, eh, something feels like, you know, I should be doing more. And so, yeah. you know, sometimes I console myself, hey, I'm a, I'm a parent. I'm doing as much as I could around my kid, you know, trying to influence, trying to be a good person. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, and from a tech perspective, you know, really being able to say, okay, well, I want to build, I want to be able to influence, but I also want to impact. And I think that yeah. those are the things that I look at and in any way that I could add, you know, have these conversations and inspire people. Um, it is what it is. And I'm happy <laughs> to do it. And, you know, hopefully I think that, you know, whoever is influenced, because I didn't set out to, you know, become an influencer. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, I was just really... One of those things, you know, I, I remember growing up, I was kind of a history buff. And one of those things, yeah. you know, if you want to hide something from people sometimes, you know, just keep information away from them. And so I just like, okay, the information is out there, the information is free, but because people don't necessarily want to look or people don't know where to look or people don't necessarily want to read, at least in a platform, they can see it all there. So yeah, um, I think that, you know, that's kind of where I sit, you know, and, and hoping that, you know, we all take the time to do research, um, be inspired because we have examples all around us. I am just one person who is doing my little bit of the world. Um, but, you know, there's so many others and, you know, community, I think also helps you see, you know, well, if you think you're doing great, if you, you must be in a room with other people doing greater things than you to make, to help you realize, okay, well, yeah, there's more I could do. I should be thinking of it this way because, we're never the smartest person in any room. And mm -hmm. if you're the smartest person in any room, you know, that's saying you, you're in the wrong room. So um, that, that's just kind of how I look at it and making sure that, you know, I can help others wherever I can. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you um, 
yeah thank you for that um i i back in january um what you what you said made me think of back in january uh i don't know if you're a basketball fan but lebron passed like kareem's mm-hmm. all-time scoring record and, and i'm a lakers fan too okay safe safe here <laughs> um his his wife savannah um at the after party one thing that stood out to me she was like you know you're doing great i know you're like still working for the championship um but take a moment to um to like understand like the you know the impact that, that you've already made um so i i like leave those as, as closing words to, to you like you um like i said you're, you're an inspiration to me as as younger person in tech um younger prospective entrepreneur all of that um and i, I know you'll you'll be an inspiration to the listeners um, who are listening to this as well uh, my final question for you you know what what advice do you leave for um for prospective entrepreneurs um just go do it yeah <laughs> i just must <laughs> be like that nike um you know so you can just do it um yeah um and the reason why I say that is you have to take the swing, you have to feel, you have to iterate, you have to what what you don't want to die uh, die with is regret. That that's one mm-hmm. of those things. And yeah. so I think that you know if you have an idea, um, you know, see where it lands you. You could be the next billion dollar entrepreneur. You could yeah. be a small pop uh small mom and pop shop um but the thing about it is i would say you know just go take a swing and do what you know you're inspired to do because i think that you know what i've realized is that more than anything ideas change your world um and having that passion for what you're doing um and how it may influence the world is paramount to who we are and us living in our fullest selves mm. so for me i just think that you know you go out and you do it you may feel and and failure isn't bad failure and, and that's one of the things i think that even in our community you know the black community yeah just be honest about that we, we try to demonize failure a lot um, we tend not to give people the room to feel. One of the things that I've realized, you know, even in, in white entrepreneurship, even if we talk about, you know, um, Adam Newman, we were guy and, and, you know, to some people, he was a failure to him. He's not. And to Andrews and Howard to just give him what, 250 million. Yeah. Um, so we, we have to give ourselves, um, room to feel, um, and, you know, sit in your failure sometimes because for me, I feel, you know, whether it's exams, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's, you know, my, my business, whether or not it's a deal blowing up, whether or not, you know, this person we hoping to call us back who never calls back, you know, all of those things, <laughs> these like failures, trust me. And it, it happens every day. So it's not that, you know, every day, you know, like today I had a great day, you know, I had two fantastic calls. Tomorrow it might be depressing. Um, yeah. But you know what? It doesn't stop me from waking up and doing the best that I can be or need to mm. do. And so that that's what I think. You know, don't worry if you listen to somebody like Gary Vee. You know, just like go do it. You have 
how much more years of your life if you're if you're a young entrepreneur just go do it so i think that yeah it is it is instructive you know that you know just taking a swing even how little and even and also if i i would say you know having the people around you you know for me i was pretty fortunate um that my parents were just really instrumental in terms of everything that you know myself and my siblings wanted to do um, yeah. but you know even if you find find your uh, tribe find your ecosystem who helps you because one of those things you realize in entrepreneurship is that um your ecosystem you know um as we be can collapse if the ecosystem wasn't all talking about pulling out money and so yeah. you realize how powerful an ecosystem and a network is those people who got their money out knew exactly what was going on or knew exactly to pull their money out those who didn't well clearly weren't that plugged into the network so yeah. <laughs> you know, those are the things that you realize okay as an entrepreneur and if i'm going to do this who can i talk to who would have my mm. back who would you know support me on this journey and i think that that's one of those things that i realize is, is critical in terms of the whole experience that's amazing um my final words you know where can people can where can people find you if they want to get connected with you daniel oh boy um they can connect with me on linkedin okay <laughs> <laughs> um that, i'll link it in the show notes so, so people can find it easy <laughs> yeah so you can you can get, find me on linkedin you can find me on um i i think i'm on, i'm on ig i'm on facebook but i don't use those as much as, okay. i use my linkedin because again for professional purposes and just for yeah um being able to have i i find a lot of my serious conversations happen on linkedin um do i'm yeah try to be muted sometimes because people don't like to be offended sometimes not like i'm trying to offend people i'm just trying to hey have a serious conversation so yeah um but that's one way the ways and also you know it can connect on keeping me and they find you know find them so yeah awesome awesome well thank you again daniel um for being a guest on the impact podcast um this was an incredible conversation um yeah thank you hey thank you for having me man